Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. It is the Sabbath. Greet one another in the chat. And if you're watching this later, then please subscribe. Or you can actually subscribe even if you're watching this live. But later you can put some comments in the comments section below. Thank you everybody that does support this ministry please consider donating and subscribing and supporting the channel. We are so blessed. And we're also over on Odyssey to back up this site because, of course, YouTube is doing a cleansing of our site of any material that breaches any terms of service of the uh, establishment, which you can imagine is quite a lot. Without further ado, we are in Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel, and we are in chapter 29. Chapter 29. Um, the past couple of weeks, I've been going through it kind of in the Pardes realm, and I've kind of quite enjoyed that. An orchard, Pardes, the Hebrew word for orchard, having a little smorgasbord from the orchard. An apple drops here, one still on the tree. Peshat, the plain sense of the text. The drash, a hint, an allegory. A remez, I've got that backwards. A remez, drash, and then the sowed, Pardes. You know, I'll wake up, give me a moment. It's still still early on in the Sabbath day here on the West Coast. So I'm going to do that again today. So let's delve into the 29th chapter. Bless one another. Give us some thumbs up and let's dig right in because we are looking at a prophecy concerning Ariel or in some of your translations, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, and Ariel. And it really does describe a time of distress as symbolized by Ariel, the city of David, besieged. The city besieged. There is a big siege going on. In fact, before we go any further, let's bow our heads and pray for all of those that are besieged in the Gaza city. So, Father Yahuwah, we do pray for humanity. We pray for all of those that are besieged in Gaza city, Father. And we also pray, Yahuwah, for the peace of Yerushalayim. There are humans, women, children, civilians, and Father, the New World Order and the globalists would love to polarize this as they always do in their war machine of attrition. So Father, we pray for those in Gaza City as we pay, pray for those in Yerushalayim. And we ask, Father, for the coming of Mashiach, which will bring true peace, not at the hands of the globalists, not manufactured peace at the hands of a Zionist state, not manufactured peace in the times, of course, of an election year when they can stew up more chaos, but, Father, for the true peace that surpasses all understanding that only can come from Ariel, the hearth of Yahuwah. So we thank you, Father, and we lift up humanity in Yahusha's mighty name. Amen. 
Just had to do that because can't stand all the propaganda, all the shills for, for the state of Israel. If you go to a church and, or, or you're, you're tuning in and somebody's shilling for Israel, then time to switch the channel. I'm sorry. I mean, good grief. This is a time when you really see whether these people are actually reading the Bible or just shills. Shilling for Israel, shilling for Israel. Give me a break, please. It's absolutely ludicrous. I'm so disappointed in so many, many podcasters, churches. I'm not going to name them. I already could. But, you know, sitting behind green screens of, of, of a map of the Middle East, and they're literally shilling for Israel. A Zionist state created in 1948. <laughs> it just is, and they know the truth, many of these people. They know all about the Ashkenazi. They know all about the Turkic Mongols. They know all about Theodore Herzl in 1860 Basel. They know about the migration of Judah. They know about the Fehalim, but they won't touch it with a 10-foot barge pole. And then they say, Matthew, you should really take that stuff down on your website if you want your ministry to grow. I'm like, so you do agree that it's true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're really not going to grow that much as a ministry if you keep that up there. And we can't, you know, we can't have you come and speak. I've had those conversations. And then again, you don't see anything for a few years. And then they're shilling for Israel again. It's so disappointing. Let me get into the teaching. Sorry. Just had to blur, put that out there. Anyway, focus, focus. Ariel. The city of David. The city of David besieged. It was the word besieged. It triggered me. Did you see how that word besieged? It just triggered me. Well, I'm just, you know, just like you. I live in this world, but I'm not of the world. And some things trigger me also. It's the new world order, the globalists and these shills for Israel. Isaiah, though, he is not going to be triggered by any of this because he's far better than all of us and far wiser. But that is what we can actually shoot the goal for, right? To try and mature not to be triggered by words like besieged. At least I'm not triggered by some other words, but we won't get into those ones. Isaiah does outline how Yahweh will bring adversity upon Jerusalem why? Because they're spiritually blind. And you can put a finger, if you want to, in Matthew chapter 15, because, of course, Yahushua quotes from this very chapter of Isaiah 29, talking about the spiritual blindness of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, many centuries later. And again, we are living in a day today with the spiritual blindness of Jerusalem and that's why we have a lot of people shilling for Jerusalem, shilling for Israel because of spiritual blindness. So therefore, I tied it in, and I think that now I've calmed down. But the people's religious practices, they became empty rituals. And Yahweh's wisdom, his wisdom, is going to be hidden from those that are just doing empty rituals, whether it's the messianic movement or Christianity. If we're just doing empty rituals, then Yahweh's wisdom will be hidden from us. We've got to understand that because being spiritually blind really foreshadows Jerusalem's downfall. 
In the 13th verse of this chapter, you can see Yahushua quotes that verse in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. Remember when his disciples, his Talmudim, they were chastised. Why? Why do you not wash your hands before you eat? And Yahushua goes on to talk about, well, hang on a minute. Why do you transgress the commandments of Yahuwah for your traditions? And he goes on to talk and explain about Korban. Korban. Really, in Matthew 15, reflecting upon Isaiah and the whole context of things, and the whole context that Yahushua came so that we could live, not that he came to abridge or, excuse me, to abrogate the commandments of Yahweh. No, not at all. If a person, think about this, if a person believes that Yahushua gives permission to transgress the commandments of Yahuwah, then they're actually presenting evidence that he is not the without spot, the without blemish lamb of Yahuwah, and that he's not the Messiah. So we've got the majority of Christianity actually presenting evidence that he's not the Messiah, yet they believe he is the Messiah. Do you see how upside down it is? Because the majority of Christianity transgresses the commandments because of their traditions. And then you and I, we're like, well, we're going to actually keep the Sabbath. And we're like, you know what? We're not going to do Easter. And we transgress the traditions because we want to keep the commandments and we're the crazy ones. We're anathema. Do you see what a topsy-turvy world we live in? And the biggest religious group, Christianity, is actually presenting evidence that Yahushua isn't the Messiah, whilst claiming he's the Messiah. And then they wonder why the synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews and are not, will never, ever accept that Jesus because you've just presented to them that he's not the Messiah. And they're like, these people are crazy pagans. And they really actually are presenting evidence that they're crazy pagans. And that's why you are never going to see the kingdom of Yahuwah come with that corrupted message. It's the wrong message. And here we are 2,000 years later, and the kingdom come. If you want to spread the gospel, then make sure you're spreading the right gospel and presenting the evidence that Yahushua is the Messiah. And the only evidence that you need to present is that he is the without sin, spotless lamb of Yahuwah that kept the commandments of Yahuwah and teaches his disciples to do so the same. Isn't that amazing? It's not that complicated. And when we do that, we don't have to shill for the Zionist state because the truth will set you free. Think about it. Massive, right? But really, it's not. What we're looking at also, using the par days, but also I want to look at the post-millennial perspective. So, let's dig deeper. So the Peshat, the plain sense of Isaiah 29, it could actually symbolize, think about this, a world in spiritual distress, just like we are in today. Just as Ariel 
representing Jerusalem, faced adversity, the world too, right now, currently, is experiencing spiritual challenges. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? It suggests that there is a time of spiritual darkness, brethren, and there is going to be a time of upheaval. Now, when is this going to come? Well, I have hope. I believe it's going to come preceding a period of enlightenment and renewal. Yes, we're going to have enlightenment and renewal. But first, we're going to have darkness, spiritual challenges, and upheaval of society. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Year to year, let Moadim come around. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow. And it shall be to me as it is to Ariel. In the Hebrew, Ariel can be translated as Lion of El, Lion of Elohim, because it's Yahweh's half. And in fact, tradition, rabbinic tradition, says that when the temple, when the, when the half in the temple was aflame, that it would take on the shape of a lion, the flames the hearth of El, Ariel. I find that quite interesting. It's a reference to the holy city of Jerusalem. Verse 3, And I will camp against you all around and will lay siege against you with siege mounds. Have you ever seen the siege mounds in Israel? Still there from the times of the Romans. I've been to Masada, and you can go to the top of Masada, and you can look down, and you can still see in the, in the land the actual squares of the Roman encampments from 2,000 years ago. And you can still see the siege mound that they built up to Masada. It's absolutely fascinating. And I will raise forts against you. Verse 4, and you shall be brought down and shall speak out of the ground and your speech shall be low from the dust and your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground and your speech shall whisper out of the dust. Moreover, the multitude of your foreigners shall be like small dust and the multitude of the ruthless ones shall be as chaff that passes away, and it shall be in an instant, suddenly. You shall be visited by Yahweh Savot with thunder and with earthquake and great noise and with wind and storm and the flame of devouring fire and the multitude of all nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her stronghold and all that distress her shall be as a dream in a night vision. So now, digging a little deeper, not into the drash, because I got all kafuddled with my par days. The R comes before D in the par days, but not in the alphabet. The Ramez, we find, allegorically, reminds us that religiosity without true understanding is what? 
religiosity, and we've all fallen into this trap, religiosity without true understanding leads to spiritual apathy and blindness. And that's where we're at. Spiritual apathy and blindness all around with what's going on in the Middle East. And you see it. And all of a sudden now, I mean, if you were to tune in today and there was a State of Israel flag in the background here, you would know that I was done. Sold out. Shilling for Israel. Time to switch the channel. Done. Because I'm no longer following the scriptures. I've been absolutely brainwashed. And my idea of what Israel is, is totally being, being influenced by the New World Order, if that was the case. Thankfully, it's not the case. But there was a time, there was a time, about 15 years ago, that I did have a flag flying in the congregation. So at that point, it was time to hit the scriptures and study to show myself approved and then go, oh my goodness, I have made major errors. So then I repented and I taught to you, who is Israel? Who is Israel? This is key to our theology. Who is Judah? Who are the Jews? It is key. Who is Muhammad? Who, what is Islam? If we don't know these things, where do they come from? Is there a war between the seeds? Is it a war between Esau and Jacob, Ishmael and Isaac? Has the scripture told us that there will be 12 caliphs? There will be 12 princes? If we don't know these things, then we need to return back to the Torah portion reading, don't we? Because it's all right here in the Bible. Everything, all of the chaos in this world can be explained through the word of Yahuwah, prayer, worship, and meditation. So the rituals and the customs have become what? All that these people want to do rather than the significant power of the scripture. Faith, brethren, must be deeply rooted in understanding and not just outward practices. Yahuwah desires a relationship based upon genuine comprehension, not empty traditions. Not empty traditions. So the Remez of Isaiah, Yeshayahu chapter 29, and now in the context of a post-millennium, offers hope. Because the turmoil, the spiritual blindness described represents the current state of the world. That's how I'm reading it. When I read through this, I'm like, this is the current state of the world. Spiritual blindness, there is chaos. We've got our friends who supposedly love Yahushua. They're doing the traditions more than the commandments, and they're shilling for Israel. They are spiritually blind. Some people that I know who are actually very smart men, Shilling for Israel. Disappointed. I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. They're just adding the chaos. Adding to the chaos. Adding to all of this. And I have to go, well, hang on a minute. What is happening? It's right there. 
It's right before me as I read. It's materialism. It's secularism. It's wanting to get more viewers. Oh, it's wanting to be more popular. It's wanting to get more donations. It's wanting to grow a big ministry. So therefore we do the popular teachings that people are going to click on. In the meantime, I'm getting all of these videos getting taken down. So maybe I should just do that. No. Right? What is it? It's turmoil. It's spiritual blindness. It's the current state of the world with materialism and secularism prevailing. However, there is a deeper message within the text. And that is through, brethren, genuine understanding and spiritual awakening and being bold and fearless to tell the truth no matter what, like a lion, there will be an awakening in humanity. There will be an awakening that can transcend the challenges that we are currently in. And we can begin as a race, a human race, to move towards an era of enlightenment. I talk about it a lot, embracing millennium technology, ushering us into the millennium. Look at verse 8. It shall even be as when a hungry when a hungry man dreams and see he eats, but he awakes and his being is empty. Or when a thirsty man dreams and see he drinks, but he awakes and see he is faint and his being has hunger. Has that ever happened to any of you? Oh my goodness. I mean, do a fast. I've done a 72-hour fast, no food, no fluids, not even a drop of water. And you're dreaming about food, you're dreaming about fluids, and then you wake up and you're like, <gasps> and your stomach, I mean, but you're actually very clear, very clear. It's a severe fast, but you know, there's other fasts. You could do the Daniel fast, you could do a water fast. Anyway. But you want to experience that. So many people, they don't even want to experience any kind of discipline. So shall the multitude of the nations be that fight against hard Zion. Verse 9, pause and wonder. They cry out for trouble. They are drunk, but they're not drunk with wine. They stagger, but not because of strong drink. For Yahweh has poured out upon you the Ruach, the spirit of deep sleep, and has closed your eyes. The Nevim, the prophets, and your rulers, the seers also has he blinded. And the vision of all has become to you as the words of a scroll that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the scroll is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, read this, please. And he says, I am not learned. So now, going into the homiletical sense, the drash, we can see the significance of this prophecy in our own lives. Think about this. Does it at all, this text, remind us that true faith, requires understanding. 
superficial practices or rituals devoid of comprehension, what do they lead to? Spiritual blindness. Today, today, as the writer of the book of Hebrews said, if you hear his voice, we must seek a deep and meaningful connection with Yahuwah rather than mere outward displays of religiosity. In a post-millennial interpretation, I think Isaiah is causing us to go deeper. He's encouraging us to recognize that our spiritual practices must be rooted in understanding. Mere rituals or traditions are going to just get us blinder and blinder and blinder. When we need to have vision and we need to have clarity in this world of chaos. The message is this, that we need a collective awakening. It's no good just you being awake or you being awake or me being awake. We need a collective awakening, a spiritual reformation that leads us towards a better future. It calls for a revitalization, revitalization, excuse me, of faith. Stop the polarization. This group, that group, this group, that group. That is stupid think. And that's what they always want you to go to. It's this group, that group. Read the Communist Manifesto. Polarization. If you can do that, you're lost. Why do you think there's only two parties? If being the president of America was really a powerful thing that would change, then they would have made it illegal. Okay? If it really changed anything, they would have made it illegal. Can we be real? Therefore, maybe we should put our attention to other things that are more important. We have got to see what is really going on in this world. And that means we have to wake up and have spiritual clarity. And we have got to take the blinders off. Therefore, verse 13, Yahweh says, Because this people draws near to me with their mouths, and with their lips they do honor me, but have removed their leaven, their heart far from me, and their fear of me is taught by the commandments of men. Therefore, see, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the chokmah, the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the binah, the understanding of their clever men, shall be hidden. Verse 15. Woe to them that seek dark places to hide their counsel far from Yahuwah. And their works are in the dark and they say, well, who sees us and who knows us? That is perverted. Should the potter be counted as the clay? Should the created say to the creator, he made me not? Or shall the thing formed say, of him that formed it, he has no binar understanding. Is it not yet 
a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. Well, Lebanon right now, they're going to try and turn it into a blooming graveyard. But let's look briefly at how Isaiah, get back on track, see how you are triggered right there. Get back on track here. Let's look at how Isaiah chapter 29, verse 16, just read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 18 and Romans chapter 9, verse 21. You most probably picked up upon the theme of the potter and the clay. It's speaking about divine craftsmanship. It's speaking of sovereignty. Yahweh is sovereign. His sovereignty to humanity and humanity's relationship with Yahuwah in regards to sovereignty and citizenship. We are sovereigns. We are not sovereign citizens, okay? That's an asinine. That's like a kosher pig, all right? Silliness. We are citizens of heaven. But Yahuwah is sovereign, and we are called to sovereignty. Isaiah speaks to the relationship between humanity and its creator. He emphasizes an inherent dependency on the created, the clay, the clay upon the creator, the potter, the potter. Isaiah, in desperation here, he highlights the audacity of the creation in and around Jerusalem rebelling against their creator. This is a generation that has the audacity to rebel against the creator about their creation more than any other. I mean, my son was just reading Genesis this morning. You know, he's 12. And he's like, if only people would realize and read right here, wouldn't this clear up all the problem? I'm like, yes, but there's this problem called sin. He was reading the part that Yahweh made a male and a female. It's right there. It's pretty clear to a 12-year-old that's been raised in righteousness. But it's very muddled to a world that has been raised by Satan. Let's call it what it is, in government work camps, right? A cult. Jeremiah chapter 18. Let's turn there before I get triggered again. It must be a triggery day today. Jeremiah chapter 18 takes the same theme, of course, as Jeremiah, as Isaiah in the 29th chapter. The word that came to Yeremiahu from Yahuwah, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was a-working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to do the potter did then the word of yahweh came to me o house of israel can i not do with you as this potter has done 
declares Yahweh. Did he not do that with you? Did he not do that with me? I think about I was created. And then Yahweh most probably looked at me when I was about 16 or 17 and said, Oh my goodness, man, that is some spoiled clay. Spoiled clay. And most would cast it away into the fire. Done. But no, Yahweh remolded that clay. Remolded that. And it is still in a process of molding that clay. Still in a process. Not discarded. I have not been discarded. You have not been discarded. Now that is mer that is Rachamin. The half of Yahuwah. What would the world do with you? What would the world do with you? I'll tell you what the world would do with you. Why don't you sign up, go fight in Afghanistan or Iraq for several years, get yourself an injury or something, come back with post-traumatic stress disorder, then go to the VA. And that will tell you what the world will do with you. That's what the world does. It eats its own. Promises, promises, promises. There are more people on the streets that have come back from wars that haven't got the help from the VA and other places. And they're just kicked to the side. Genuine hurts. It's human. Humanity. And here we are. Well, let's just polarize. Well, they're this, they're that, they're this, they're that. They're clay. They're from the dust. Just like you and I. Where's our humanity, people? Oh, let's shell the Palestinians. Yeah, blow them up. Oh, my. Insanity. Nobody's asking the questions. How did the fence, did they get through the fence? Why was there such an opening? How come it took six hours? What's going on with Netanyahu? Oh, he needs to be re-elected. Oh, nobody's looking at a story here. Just like they didn't at 9-11. Just like they didn't with all the others. And then what happens? Then more laws and then we go to war. And it just so happens to be on the heels well, excuse me, not the heels, coming up on an election cycle after they just did a massive 5G, 10G test, right? All we need to do is just get in some more COVID and it's off to the races. I think they'll be doing that in the next few months. There'll be an uptick, uptick, uptick. I mean, it's just, I mean, really read the Communist Manifesto. It's all right there. It's a playbook. We are on the Monopoly board game, remember. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Israel is a house. It consists of 12 tribes. So if Israel is a house that consists of one tribe, is it a true house or is it a fabrication? Is it a fiction? Have you been beguiled? You would have been beguiled. Because the Israel of the Bible is a house full of all 12 tribes. If it was full of 10 tribes, that's a house divided. And did it stand? 
No, neither of them did, did they? For it to stand, it must be full, because otherwise little devils will come in, more so than before. Think about that in light and context of Jacob, Yaakov. So going back to Jeremiah here, flick, flicking back, Jeremiah's encounter with the potter illustrates Yahweh's sovereignty. Just as a potter molds and remolds the clay, Yahweh does have the authority to shape and reshape nations. And he's doing it right now. And he is using the kings of this earth just like he used the kings of the earth to reshape nations back in the days of Senharaviv and Nebuchadnezzar. He is reshaping nations right before your eyes and people can't even see it. Yahweh is sovereign and he can reshape nations and he can remold clay including the state of Israel and including the Fehalim who live in Gaza. And is it according to his divine plan? Is this our current reality? This passage excuse me, shows the flexibility of Yahweh's will. Are we flexible? Are we flexible? People seem so inflexible today. This passage shows the flexibility of Yahweh's will. It shows his capacity to work with his creation to fulfill his purposes. We need to work with his creation also to fulfill his purposes. We need to forgive. We need to be kind. I'm preaching at the choir. Look at Romans, Romia, chapter 9, verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So in Romans, the apostle Paul references the potter and clay metaphor to explain again Yahweh's sovereignty and the role of election in salvation. And this verse emphasizes Yahweh's right to choose and mold individuals for his purposes, whether for honorable or dishonorable use. But remember this, if you have dishonored yourself and you feel that you should be discarded, you feel that you should be thrown into the furnace. Just remember the passage in Jeremiah where Yahweh can choose to stay that because he's patient and kind and loving and merciful and he's willing to remold your clay. He's willing to remold you and turn you into an honorable vessel. It's never too late to turn back to the righteous path. If you fall, if you stumble, Yahweh just asks that you would get back up, brother, sister, and come back. Rachamin, mercy, he will remold you into a vessel of honor if you walk in his ways and you put aside the traditions of men. And you keep the commandments of Yah 
will allow him the time to mold you. The commandments allow Yah the time to mold you. The traditions of men rush you into brokenness. They cause blindness. They cause slumber. There's a theological thread through all of this because this section collectively emphasizes the relationship between the creator and the created. It highlights Yahweh's sovereignty in shaping individuals, in shaping nations. Yeshayahu reminds us that Yahweh is the ultimate potter and we as the clay are his and we are in his hands. Isn't that what you said? Isn't that what you said before we started today? Now this may raise questions about human agency, I understand, and Yahuwah's choices. But ultimately, brethren, it underscores the need for humility. The need for trust. The need for... Would you just submit? But we won't... Would you just submit for Christ to Yahuwah's divine plan? Would you? Would you? Look at verse 18. And in that day... Shall the deaf hear the words of the scroll? And the eyes of the blind shall see out of the gloom and out of the darkness. You feel gloomy? Man, I feel gloomy sometimes. But if you continue to read his word, devour it, turn off other words, pray and worship, the gloom will pass away. And the darkness will become light. Because the meek, verse 19, also shall increase with their simcha, their joy in Yahuwah. And the poor among men shall simcha rejoice in the kadosh one of Israel. For the ruthless one is brought to nothing, and the scorner is consumed, and all that desire iniquity are cut off. What are your hopes? What are your desires? Are they for righteousness? Are they for holiness? Are they for honor? Well, then that is righteous in itself. Look at verse 1. 21, excuse me. That make men to sin by their words. Let me back up a little bit. Verse 20. For the ruthless one is brought to nothing, and the scorner is consumed. And all that desire iniquity are cut off, that make men to sin by their words and lay a trap for them that rebukes evil in the gate and turns aside the zadik, the righteous, with empty reasoning. Today their arguments are full of empty reasoning and they are seeking to turn you, the righteous, away from the gates. We must possess the gates of our enemies. We are commanded to possess the gates of our enemies and we must seek to do such things. So in the Sod, or the deeper layer of this chapter. It's a lesson about spiritual awakening. It tells us 
that even in these times, brethren, that we are now currently in, of blooming spiritual blindness abounding everywhere as they shill for Israel, and they go, oh, this person against that person, this state against those people, this against that. It's polarization everywhere. Spiritual blindness. There is a path. There is a path to illumination that does remain open. But you have to choose it. It is a narrow path that leads to life. By seeking true understanding, we can remove the veil that obscures wisdom. In a mystical sense, this chapter then is about what? Transcending the limitations of religious tradition and ritual so that we can actually achieve something, so we can achieve a profound connection with the divine. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what this life is all about? As we meditate on Isaiah 29, remember, our faith must be rooted in deep understanding, and rituals alone will not sustain us. They simply won't. Isaiah calls us to seek a meaningful relationship with Yahuwah, to uncover the hidden wisdom that lies beyond the surface of religious practice, routine. This really is a deeper lesson in post-millennial thought. Think about this. It suggests that the hidden wisdom, which might be veiled, during such times in which we are now in, of spiritual darkness, can be uncovered, not by one man, not by two men, not by a few women, more than a minion. It must be uncovered through a collective understanding and enlightenment. In the post-millennial hypothesis that I've been banging on about for several chapters, this period of spiritual awakening then will lead to a harmonious and enlightened world. That is the millennium, a time of peace and prosperity after these spiritual dark times have been overcome. I think it's going to be in our lifetime. So in the context of post-millennial thought, Isaiah 29, I see it as a message of hope. Again, I'm feeling more hopeful. And you know me, I'm a bit of a salty guy. You know, there's, you know, there's always a doom cloud on the horizon. Watch out! But I am feeling hopeful because it signifies that despite the doom cloud on the horizon and the distress that is coming upon this world and the financial collapse that's going to happen next year and the COVID uptick and the more chaos and every, you know what? We already went through an election cycle and a civil war. So even if they throw that one at us, there'll still be an election. We already went through an election cycle in the Great Depression. So even if there is a Great Depression, again, we've already gone through that. So I think we're going to have an election. Now, they didn't have COVID, but they did have, you know, the flu back there. We went through an election cycle with that, the Spanish flu. Oh, you can't say that. It wasn't Spanish. You, can't, you could say that back then. You can't say that now, right? Can you imagine... Which is why Trump got in trouble calling the, the China virus, right? It's no different saying the Spanish flu. You see how times change? Funny, isn't it? Funny, isn't it? Where was I? 
Oh, I was talking about the doom clouds on the horizon, see? And then I got into the doom clouds on the horizon. But the message was that there is enlightenment and renewal which will follow. And we as humans, humanity, dust, clay, we're not that different from one another. We can move towards a better future where understanding and spiritual awakening will prevail. There's hope. Verse 22, therefore this says Yahweh who redeemed Avraham concerning Bet Yaakov, the house of Jacob. Yaakov, Jacob, shall no longer be ashamed and neither shall his face now grow pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands, in the midst of them, they shall set apart my name and set apart the Kadosh one of Yaakov, the Holy One of Jacob, and shall fear the Elohim of Israel. They also that have gone astray in Ruach, in spirit, shall come to understanding. So if you've gone on astray in your spirit, you can come back to understanding. And they that grumbled, those little complainers mumbling and grumbling, well, guess what? They're going to learn the Torah. Oh, the Torah's done away with that. We're not under, we're under grace. We're not under law. And, you know, grumbly grumble. They'll actually learn the Torah if they submit to be molded in his hand. Because that's what the kingdom, Isaiah 66, is all about. Sabbath and the Torah. So if you want to be there, you might want to put away the traditions of men and start to return to the commandments of Yah. Now let's look at this finally in conclusion, because I know I've been banging on for a bit. Let's look at this in light of Jacob's trouble in a pre-millennial context, then the millennium, and then the post-millennial context. That's a good wrap-up, don't you think? Because that has been on my mind every time I open the Bible. I see it everywhere. Everywhere! Let's look at the pre-millennial Jacob's trouble. Isaiah 29. There's a description of Ariel in distress. What does this symbolize? I read it. It symbolizes the period of Jacob's trouble, which is associated with a time of tribulation and hardship when before the millennial reign. Ariel's distress is a representation, do you see it, of the challenges before the millennium. That's what it is. Ariel's Distress is a representation of the challenges and suffering faced by Jacob's descendants, the 12 tribes of Israel, scattered abroad, which is a common theme in eschatological beliefs. This distress reflects the difficulties that precede the promised restoration and a future millennial era. Put on your seatbelts. It's going to be a crazy wild ride. But there's going to be hope. Because once the doom clouds pass, there is going to be a millennial period. Isaiah 29 is also a foreshadowing of a time of renewal and re enlightenment. The chapter following 
Isaiah 29, in fact, many of the chapters following Isaiah 29, describe a period of peace and harmony, which of course aligns with the concept of the millennial reign. So the struggles of Ariel, get this, the struggles of Ariel and the people are overcome during this time of the millennium. Can you see that? And they enter into a harmonious period of spiritual enlightenment and awakening. But then, after a thousand years, there's the post-millennium or Jacob's second trouble, the Great Tribulation. Remember I said there's the bookends and the millennium in the middle? So the final verses of Isaiah chapter 29 relate to what? Post-millennium, the Great Tribulation, Yaakov's second trouble, which is part of, of course, the post-millennial hypothesis. And this sees the distress that is mentioned in Isaiah 29 as a foreshadowing of the tribulations that actually occur, actually occur when? At the end of the millennium. It's going to be worse before Yahusha's return. Just as Ariel faced distress, the world experiences at the end of the millennium a period of great tribulation before the final victory of good over evil. So overall, the whole thing, Isaiah 29, it could be viewed, I'm viewing it, as a multi-dimensional prophecy that touches on various phases in the eschatological timeline. The distress preceding the millennial era of which we are currently in. The millennial period of peace and enlightenment of which we hope for. And then the great tribulation at the end of the millennium. This interpretation, I believe, is very consistent with the eschatological beliefs that encompasses Jacob's trouble, the millennial reign, and Jacob's second trouble at the end, the great tribulation. Isaiah sees it all. Does he see it all? He does, because he even saw Mashiach. He saw it all. He saw it all. He was enlightened. And the veil was lifted. And as we continue to trek through Isaiah, I pray that Yahweh is lifting the veil in your life. That you are starting to see the world more clearly through the lens of scripture and righteousness and truth. Don't listen to those that are shilling for Israel. Don't listen to those that are celebrating the death of humanity. Wars are bankers' wars. They've always been bankers' wars. And we need to face forward to the future of the millennial time of enlightenment. But before that, yes, we're going to go through a time of gloom. I think that's coming upon us. But these are times when we become stronger, stronger in our faith, stronger in worship, more disciplined, and seeking Yahweh. And if you have fallen and you have become disillusioned, just put yourself back into the hands of the potter and let him remold you 
because he's not going to toss you and discard you into the fires. Not yet. Not yet. That's at the end of the millennium if you forget his ways and you don't repent. Repent. Turn around. Change direction and come back into the pasture where the good shepherd shall greet you. Shabbat shalom. We'll catch you next Sabbath. Bless one another in the chat as we depart. Leave some comments. And please consider supporting the ministry with your tithes, with your offerings, with your thumbs up, with your subscription. And you can always bounce over to Odyssey because we've got more videos over there now because we have less over here. Wonder why that is.